Welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast, where we'll hear stories from Washingtonians from their favorite food at Waltz or the CAF to their favorite Tiger Tunes shows and professors. We'll also find out what they've been up to outside the famed Washita bubble. I'm your host, John Merriman, Washita's Director of Alumni Relations. Today on the Tiger for Life podcast is alumna Sarah Harmeyer from the class of 1999. Sarah is founder and chief people gatherer at Neighbors Table, delivering handcrafted tables to people gatherers around the country on what she describes as a love mission. Sarah shares how Neighbors Table began, how gathering has changed during COVID, and some things to take forward from this time, as well as her favorite OBU memories like being introduced to white gravy at Waltz and meeting caring lifelong friends. All right, Sarah Harmeyer, welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast. Thanks, John. You're one of my favorite people, so this feels like a treat to get to chat with you today. Same, same. You know, one of the things about these COVID times is that pretty much we can find time that someone's available to visit. So (laughs) thanks for taking a little time today. I know you're busy and about to head to the ranch, but would love to talk a little bit about Neighbors Table, see what's going on with you. You know that I'm part of the Neighbors Table family. Emily and I have a table and we love it. And, you know, we have one in the middle of campus, which our students are all familiar with. But a lot of our alums uh, listening might not be familiar with Neighbors Table. So I'd love for you just to share a little bit about your uh, Neighbors Table story, how things began. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm so happy that you and Emily are part of our Neighbors Table family. So Before there was a neighbor's table family that had our tables, I had just moved to Dallas, Texas uh, for my job with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. I um, was kind of in that young professional career where my identity was really wrapped up in my work and had a dear pastor friend of mine say, you know, Sarah, I really see you as a people gatherer. I want you to think about how you might gather people in and outside the church. And I really had no clue what that looked like. But Eric encouraged me just to pray about it. And I kept thinking back to the very best moments in my life, John. And there were so many moments that came around the table for me, Um, sharing dinner with people, cooking dinner, putting a plate of food in front of people. And I thought that is how I'd like to gather people. So being new to Dallas, I didn't know many of my neighbors. Um, My dad had never built a table, but he was kind of a piddler is what he called himself. He likes woodworking. And then I asked him if he'd build me a table big enough to seat 20 people. I felt like a table that size would be significant and room for everybody. And so dad built this gorgeous long farmhouse style table. We put, you know, chandeliers overhead and I set a goal back in 2012 to serve 500 people that year, one dinner party after another. I didn't even know 500 people in Dallas at that point, (laughs) but anyone that was breathing, I invited them to the table and it kind of started in my neighborhood first. The first gathering I had, I, my neighborhood's called so hip in Dallas. We're South of Highland park and we're not hip at all, but um, I came up with this, this dinner name. So hip, so hip soiree. And I sent out these invitations to like the 300 closest neighbors in my neighborhood, just a few, few block radius and 91 people showed up that night. It was a potluck. So I asked people to bring a beverage and a dish to share. And that night something shifted in my heart and I knew people just wanted to be invited. I remember how alive I felt. It was the same feeling I'd already felt around the table. So I gathered that first year and got to know so many people and shared so many great experiences with people. And about a year and a half in, 
my friend Eric calls me and he's like, Sarah, I see God getting a lot of glory around your table. I wonder if he has something outside your own yard. And I was like, I can't even imagine anything sweeter than what's happening here. But again, I just prayed about it as I would think about it. And I got to thinking there's other people wired like me that love to gather people. They love people. They love maybe sharing their faith. Maybe they love cooking. Maybe they like setting a table. Maybe they're just like people or their family. Uh, people like you and, and Emily, John. And I thought, what if those people needed a home base like I did? Like the table that we know is that's where we're going to be gathering at. And then I wondered if dad would build tables for other people. So uh, I called him on a break and I just said, dad, would you be up for building tables for other people? And I said, right away, I knew what we would call him. I said, we'll call you the chairman of the boards. <laughs> and we laughed way too long about that. And dad became the chairman of the boards. Later, it, we called it neighbor's table because we felt like the table belongs to everyone. And what started out as me just trying to live into the way God created me uh, became this small business, which I'm now doing full time uh, after all these years. So Neighbor's Table is a small business, I would say, with a ministry heart. I want to see people loving each other, just as Jesus invited us to do uh, with our neighbors. And I love the moments that can be shared around the table. So we're making these handcrafted tables. I've got another guy building tables alongside dad now. And we are literally delivering these all over the country. So I think we're in 35, 36 states right now, which John, that's just hilarious. When I think about like, I can't believe anyone outside my own yard knows about this table or whatever. So it's been a wild ride, but one full of joy for sure. Good. About how many tables are out there, you know, in these 34, 35 states? Gosh, I think we're nearing 300 or we might have passed 300 uh, this spring. I, I need to look to see where we are on the current number. But uh, yeah, it's it's so thrilling. It's really fun. That's fun. You know, we love the one in the middle of campus and strung lights over it. And, you know, it's gotten a lot of use in the you know past year or so. And we got an email from the president with what things are going to look like in the next 38 days, you know, when students move in. And he said, I foresee a lot more use of the Rachel Fuller and Washtenaw Singers Memorial Amphitheater in our neighbor's table, you know, outdoor yep. spaces. So, um, exactly. about, you know, these, these memories that will be made outdoors around the table that might not have been, may have been, you know, kind of a typical inside uh, moment, but now people are going to kind of be drawn out together. Exactly. You know, I've always said an outdoor table feels like there's less walls put up. And then I'm talking about neighbors that you're just meeting for the first time. There's such more of a comfort when you're outside than maybe being in someone's home. So I've always been a fan of outdoor dining. Um, I do agree with you. I think we're going to be looking for ways to have experiences outside where everyone will feel comfortable out. So I'm, I'm so pumped to have those tables in the middle of campus and it was such a great joy to deliver those uh, that day that we did that together and sit around it with students and just kind of, kind of dedicate it for such a time as this. So we'll never know what this fall will hold, but I hope people will enjoy that table. For sure. We love the flexibility. I walked by the other day and they, I'd, I'd had them in the typical square pattern and walk yep. out there and people had them, you know, separated and folks gathering. And we've been getting calls from alums saying, I'm driving through town. I would love for my family just to eat there. And so oh, wow. we're not That's taking cool. reservations because campus <laughs> is closed, but y'all. Yes. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. I love hearing that. Super cool. Yeah. Do you have a couple of memorable table delivery stories, you know, things that really stand out in the 300 plus tables that are out there? What are some stories that really stick out to you? Yeah, John, that's like picking a favorite child, you know, <laughs> like I feel like every delivery has been um, just so vivid in my memory and in my heart. And, you know, we've delivered not only to backyards across the country, but nonprofits, churches, camps, restaurants, like the most amazing places. And I think about um, one of my early on deliveries, I made it all the way up to Ipswich, Massachusetts, and that's just north of Boston. Okay. And I remember pulling in with a big box truck and this couple, her parents lived with them and Walter was her father in his eighties. And he came out with a drink in his hand. He says, when's the party starting? (laughs) And I'm like, I have arrived in new England. This is amazing. And that night we had the best time together. I remember uh, her sending me to her garden to clip sunflowers for the table. And I often share the first meal with people and her guests were arriving at six that evening five till six, she's like, Sarah, have you seen the Atlantic Ocean yet? And I'm like, no. And this was my first time to make it like way up there all the way to the coast. She tosses me her keys. I just met her. She was (laughs) like, take my car, take a left out of here and go straight and you'll hit the water. So five minutes before the guests arrived, I ran out, put my toes in the ocean. It was just such an experience of joy, like not only just delivering tables, but what I was getting to experience. That night, I remember they had a gentleman in a wheelchair on one end. There was a high chair on the other end of the table and just this beautiful mix of people in between. Uh, There was a family, a refugee family from Ethiopia there that night. I still remember after dinner, Walter, the 80-something-year-old guy, was inside playing chopsticks on the piano, teaching those two girls from Ethiopia how to play like the the song that we all know when we sit down at a piano and it just was like just one of those beautiful nights that so many magical things happen and it it just felt you know so good I've had some goofy things that happen like I delivered a table outside Chicago in early winter right before Christmas I think it actually was so maybe it was later in Christmas and Neighbors came by caroling and one of the guys was shirtless with like a ski cap on. And I'm like, what is happening? They had ordered a table for outdoors and indoors in their dining room. He's like, you need some help. So here we go. Shirtless guy bringing in the table. It was hilarious. I was like, you never, you never know what's going to happen, but we've surprised people on their birthdays or their anniversaries. There's been so many special moments to, uh, to deliver and just, if it's an average Tuesday, it never feels average. So there's so many special moments. That's awesome. What have you guys been doing during quarantine? Like what's it look like for you, for your neighbor's table team? What's it been like? Good question. Uh, So there was like this fear filled, awkward silence about the first three weeks of COVID when everyone is really locked down. And I really got a little nervous about, Oh man, I have a business that's all about gathering and sitting elbow to elbow and, you know, all this stuff. And things started picking up from there, which I was so grateful. We were limited to deliveries, though. So I just did a delivery after several months of just kind of staying put and got out. And we delivered about 15 tables this last trip. And 
it was great. But I've been dreaming about things. I've got some new things kind of coming down the pipe. Um, I hired a new guy at the end of last year that's been building tables. Luckily, we've been able to get lumber and uh, work from home. So he's been building. So we've been staying up with everything. Uh, just haven't been able to get out as quickly as we would. Now we're kind of doing that. But now no one wants someone from Texas coming to them. So it's <laughs> like you win or lose, you know. So uh, I've been taking extreme precautions, staying safe and that sort of thing. I've actually stepped back a little and and have learned to trust God even in this season. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time with my family, which you know, we don't get that opportunity so much. And I understand that's a privilege that I'm not worried about a lot of other things except getting to focus on my, my dad and my sister. And, oh, man, I love being an aunt. So um, <laughs> spending time with my niece has been a real joy. But just oh, what a wild time, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, everything just kind of looks different. And, you know, we're looking forward to plans in the fall. And, you know, our first goal is we need students to get back and be here yeah. and then we can kind of figure out what's next, you know? Yes. Or, yes. Uh, yeah. Just a, just a crazy time. So has gathering looked different for you? Is, have you, are you pretty much sticking to gathering with your family at this point? Is that what that looks like currently or? Yeah. You know, when you have a table that's 18 feet long, you can still gather and be socially distant. Right. <laughs> so, so you probably experienced that at your nine foot table. Like there has been some creativity in gathering it, it certainly is not the volume that I'm, I'm used to. I haven't been gathering for meals when I deliver. I've been chatting with people, but just from, you know, a little safe distance with a mask on or, you know, whatever. So uh, it does look different. Um, I'm real curious to see when people start to feel more comfortable, kind of what it's going to look like. I feel like there's been a real meaningful shift and a lot of different things that have popped up the last few months. Um, I would love to see, you know, us each take this opportunity to make maybe necessary shifts as we gather. And I don't mean just wearing a mask and making sure people don't touch the tongs for the taco, you know, toppings or whatever. I mean like really meaningful gatherings. And I think, you know, what's been happening with these race conversations and, and some of these, to me, beautiful conversations that are coming out of a really, really hard place. I'm wondering, and I'm speaking to, uh, you know, the church specifically and what it looks like for Christians and how we might gather differently. You know, we're in this mix of like super polarizing opinions and thoughts and it's a election season and like all these crazy things that are like keeping us apart. Somehow the table, what my experience has been, has been like this great equalizer. So it kind of gives voice and place for everyone that sits at the table. And that's how I, I like to gather. But I'm wondering if there'll be more of a conscious effort of of having meaningful gatherings and meaningful conversations after this time. You know, I feel like in COVID we've recognized this like yearning to be with people. Cause we're like, Oh my gosh, I miss people. Like, I didn't know I liked people this much. Like when you can't be with people and you have to be at home and that sort of thing, I think we've all recognized the need for connection. And that's, that's, I think what I want to remind people moving forward is like, we, we need that. We need each other and we need that connection. And 
that is how we do life stronger. I mean, my neighbors, I feel like we've communicated more, even about silly, crazy things. Um, but we've communicated more in the last few months. And there's been some things that I think if we are really aware of, can we can take that into the next season as, as we go back to the table and gather. So it, people can look at it either way. It could be just this thing that's there's this cancel culture and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to sit down at a table with those people again. Like, but I think there's also this really beautiful opportunity that we can take steps towards to make it, you know, more meaningful for all. So I like to see that. Yeah. It was really interesting. As soon as everything went on lockdown, you know, we were having family zooms and Emily was having, you know, her girlfriends from college on zoom and, you know, we all felt the need to check in with people more and check in with people that we hadn't in a long time. And, uh, we really want to keep those. We started doing porch parties because we could sit opposite ends of the porch and visit with friends. Awesome. Uh, so we have some friends. We do that pretty much every Sunday. We go have a little porch gathering with them. And, you know, we love it. had time for that if, if things hadn't been uh, like this. So um, have you seen any creative uses of your table or creative gathering ideas uh, in this time from your you know, neighbor's table family or what have you seen out there? Yeah, you know, I've seen families eating more around the table. We're at home more. There's not as many activities for kids to run off to. Um, I've seen a ton of people with their laptops out on their table. It's like their outdoor office, you know, just another space maybe to get out and, and get some stuff done. I've seen our benches be pulled up as like tricep dips. Like it's become this exercise tool somehow. And like. Nice just funny stuff. So I have seen people really look towards the people closest to them with their families gathering. I haven't seen a ton of, you know, a lot of different people gathering around the tables. Um, we've got uh, some tables up in Michigan in a restaurant and it's interesting how they've kind of started to seat those bigger tables and give everybody room and, you know, things like that. So yeah, I think you know, creativity is like pretty things and things like that. Like I haven't seen a, a ton of that, but the uses for other things have been interesting, pretty fun. So I saw a picture of you guys and your mother-in-law, like she was at one end of your table and you guys are at the other for a shrimp boil or something like that. And I'm like, brilliant. Like that's what a big table's for. So we have room, room for everybody. Yeah. After a while, we told her she could come sit by us, you know, after we felt like she was safe. (laughs) (laughs) You can be one of us now. (laughs) That's awesome. We really wanted to try to keep our local restaurants in business, you know, so we did tons of takeout and shared that. And so we've had friends that, I mean, there is room at that table for, you know, four or five people to be pretty distant. So we've had friends over for dinner and stuff. It's been really nice. That's so great. Probably my favorite memory, you know, we love the Washaw Student Foundation. Emily and I get to help with that. And we couldn't have our orient, like our welcome new member induction because we normally have it in the auditorium and everybody had gone home. So we did it by Zoom and Emily and I did it at the neighbor's table and it was a beautiful thing. The lights were, you know, strung above and it was a really meaningful moment. We heard from, you know, the president of the university and different alums speak and then called the name of every new member and it was kind of a magical night out there. Wow, that is so cool. I love hearing that. It was sweet. And I know you have some tables about to head out. Uh, if we have uh, some folks in our community that want to get a neighbor's table and to learn more, how can they find you and get in touch with you? Yeah, I've got a website, neighborstable.com. Um, I love Instagram. I'm at neighbor's table there. If 
But um, if anyone wants to email directly, I will take care of my tigers out there. And that's just Sarah at neighborstable.com. So yeah, we'd love to love to make you something. And I personally deliver all the tables myself, which is John, a really inefficient way of doing business, (laughs) but it's about people to me. So I would personally deliver that table and I have gotten to deliver tables to former alum and it's been such a treat to see people from 20 years ago, you know, as I pull up to their house and see, we see each other as grownups, you know, pretty fun. (laughs) That's fun. I love seeing all the different ways people find out about you from Southwest Airlines magazine to, you know, all these places. Are, yes. there some, are there some fun ways that people have found out about the table that, I mean, that was one that came to mind, but. Yeah. You know, this last trip, I always like to ask that um, it's word of mouth. Uh, we've had a couple great national media spots that people heard about real simple. There was an article in there that anything that like sticks around a little, actually someone on this trip, I delivered to Minneapolis, you know, just two weeks after George Floyd was killed. And uh, she said she read something and I almost for certain know it's the first time that someone wrote about neighbor's table publicly online. And that's the, that's the thing she saw and she had kept in her mind. That was probably the end of 2012. So she'd been wanting a table for all these years and she finally got one. And that was, that was a real, real meaningful trip. So yeah, it's, it's surprising how people find out about things these days, but people are smart online. If they want to find it, they'll, they'll track you down. So true. Love that. Um, I know you, you know, mentioned some favorite places you've been as you've delivered tables. Um, I know the ocean was one, any other like neat places you've gotten to see because of your, your business there? Yeah. Our, our road trips are always so fun. I love the Pacific Northwest. It's just a gorgeous part of the country. I think people are smart and interesting up there. Uh, They're real open-hearted. So I love the lakes, the trees, the mountains. Like It's just stunning. A little different than Texas. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, of course, it's always about the people to me. But when I think about just amazing places to get to deliver, I always love that. And I'll be heading up to Spokane, Washington before the end of this month again for a delivery. So I'm excited to be back up there, see some friends. So, yeah. Nice. A little less humidity probably up there than. Yes. Summer is delightful. I'm sure winter is a beast, but <laughs> summer is amazing. So <laughs> yeah, we actually love, you know, getting students that washed off from Texas because, you know, a lot of parts of Texas are flat or, you know, dusty and they come here and see Lake DeGray and are just blown away. Totally. I was exactly the same way. So it's a beautiful part of Arkansas where Washtaw is. Love it. Is there a favorite meal that you like to serve at your table? I know you kind of do different things, but what's your favorite like gathering meal? Yeah, nothing as fantastic as you and Emily are serving, for, for sure. You guys are always so creative. You know, I like things that are interactive. So being in Texas, we love serving tacos down here. Um, I'll put a big charcuterie board just with piles of lettuce or tomatoes or cheese, things that people can just grab or fling a tortilla down the table or whatever. I just love interactions. So um, I love serving meals like that. One of my most popular things, which is hysterical, it's like the biggest cheat and best thing ever is people will request on my butterscotch pudding. 
Okay. They're like, Sarah, will you make your butterscotch pudding? It's so good. Well, let me let you in on a secret. All I do is I go to like where moms buy lunch things for kids and in the snack pack pudding aisle, I'll get snack packs of pudding. I'll scoop them out of the snack packs, put them in a fun martini glass with like a beautiful cookie. And it is like my homemade butterscotch pudding that no one can get enough of. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of my secrets that people, it's hilarious. So you figure out easy ways to make things great at the table. And and I'm one of those. So we do a ton of potlucks and tell people to bring a dish with a story and see what people come up with. And, um, you know, when I, when we've been gathering as long as we have, I feel like you have to do things that are sustainable. So I'm all about ease and um, things that everybody's in and are a part of and help clean up and participate in. So you figure out the people who like to bake or make the coolest salads or whatever, and they'll end up bringing things when you ask them to, which is something I missed out at the beginning. So people love to participate and, and be a part of things. So. Nice. Well, someday when we're fancy and we have show notes for our podcast, we'll just link the recipe to that pudding. And- <laughs> hey, it's real tough. Take a spoon into the cup and scoop it out. <laughs> you can do a whole cooking show on that. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, now you've had, you know, so many guests at your table over the years. Uh, is there a, a fa- I know this is like telling you to pick your favorite child, but um, is yeah. there a, an interesting guest or a couple of them that you'd like to share about that you've had at your table over the years? Yeah, you know, I I could say a bunch of names that you would probably recognize right away. But one of my most memorable guests was actually this gentleman, um, Richard Miles. Everyone calls him Mr. Miles. And he is a black man that probably, oh gosh, I'm guessing his age. I guess he's in his 50s now. But he was wrongly convicted of a murder and served 15 years in prison, John, here in Texas. Um, Someone helped figure out that he was not the killer, ended up, he was the first case in Texas to be proven that uh, without DNA evidence that he was wrongly convicted. Uh, He got out, he cleared the record that that they thought he had, and now he started this nonprofit. You know, the state owed him a little money after that, <laughs> after spending 15 years of his uh, his life in prison. But now he helps formerly incarcerated individuals kind of get back on their feet when they're uh, let out of jail or prison. So um, he was memorable because I didn't know his story when he came. And that happens a lot at my table. Uh, the more the barrier is, is my motto. So people will come as guests and I'll just have their name. Uh, I had made a, a place card for Richard, you know, at the table and I didn't know his story. And he was the smiliest, joyful guy there that night. Mm-hmm. And I just got to thinking, John, I learned things from people. Every guest that sits at my table, I learned something. But I just got to thinking, like, how much bitterness could it have easily been a part of his life after 15 years in prison? You would not have even guessed that was his story. Um, So I just, it was a real joy to have someone like that at my table um, where I learned things from. He shared a little bit that night. 
Uh, we actually had a lot of conversation around uh, juvenile incarcerations and, and things like that and how to help our community. So it was a he was a special guest for sure. CNN actually recognized him as a, a hero last year, which I was like, oh my gosh, there's Mr. Biles. So I know other people might have heard of him, but uh, he, was, he was a special guest for sure. That's neat. Uh, as you you know, dream about gathering in the future, is there somebody that you haven't had at your table that you think I could sit down with one person and you know have a moment with them at my table? This is somebody that I think would be really interesting to to have. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's a list, living and dead, that I would just absolutely be tickled to have at my table. You know, I'd love to see Michelle Obama at my table. The Obamas have been an a um, an intrigue to me. I got to go up to DC for their inauguration. Um, I think she's sharp. I think she's funny. Uh, I'd like to see her. I'd always like to see what Jesus would do at a table. Like, let's, let's get real. Like, would he sit down first or would he sit last? Would he sit by, you know, the lawyer that has all the crazy things or would he sit by the quiet person? Like I would love to learn just even how Jesus gathers. So that would be, I mean, there you go. Michelle Obama to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> There's a long list, but that's just like top of my head. That's what would, what I would do. So it's funny. I love that. Yeah. Emily and I watched the becoming you know, special. Oh, yeah. Just really impressed. And yeah, we'd love to meet her too. So if you get her at the table, give us a call. We'll come down and join you. <laughs> exactly. There we go. I'll, I'll make that happen for sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, other than hosting people at your table or delivering tables, uh, what do you love to do? What's a favorite hobby or thing you like to do? You know, John, I, I'm so grateful that I get to do my passion for my work. So when you say, is there something else outside of that? I'm like, okay, what do I love to do? I love to travel. I've always been a traveler. I know you and Emily love to go places and stuff. Uh, pretty quick after graduation at OBU, I went to Italy with another uh, Washtal friend. And on that trip, I decided I wanted to visit every continent before I turned 30. And it was just kind of one of those things I'd spend my summers or a week or two here and there. And I did. I made it to all seven continents. Wow. And you would think the, the travel lust or the, the wanderlust would finally be fulfilled by traveling that much but you just get more. So that is one thing during COVID that has slowed us down is from traveling. Um, I think God made me a road warrior. So as I'm out on the road delivering these tables, I find a lot of joy just seeing different parts of the country and learning about things and, and having various foods or, you know, culture. So I, I still enjoy that. John, I love being an aunt. I have a niece that will be three in October. And if she could be my hobby, she would be at the very top of that list. I, oh man, I love that kid so much. She's been really fun. I, I'm single and don't have kids of my own. So she is like the next thing to have, you know, a child. I'm sure you and Emily have kind of adopted some kids like that, that you just, you fall in love with. And uh, she's, she's mine. So she's definitely a, a fun spot in my life and my free time. So. Yeah, your videos and posts with her. I mean, she's just precious. Yeah. So she, she's tiny in stature, but she makes up for it in personality and language. She's, 
she's a hoot. So everyone loves her. They used to call her the mayor at uh, her little preschool because she'd talk to everybody. She started talking when she was little and people just thought she was hilarious. So she's been fun. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I loved hearing about your post Washita uh, trip. That sounds really great. You know, I was able to go on European study tour here as a student and loved that. Kind of switching gears from Neighbors Table over to Washita time. We do have this segment we call Fast Fave Fives on the podcast. Just five questions about your time at Washita. I would love to hear your thoughts on that if you're good. Okay, awesome. All right. Who is your favorite professor? Gosh, John, that's like, again, picking your favorite child. I had so many great experiences. You know, you know who comes to mind is Johnny Wink. Yeah. And I had one class with him. He wasn't even, you know, like in my major, the professors I saw all the time. But I have always been so drawn to people with passion. And that's what I would say about him. I mean, he was memorable. He, you know, he would talk about memorizing poems as he walked to work and walk home. He always had this fun t-shirt on with some phrase or something. Um, I love people that are just really into things. And I would say him. I, that, he's just really memorable. I've had a lot of great interactions uh, with the staff and faculty and even, you know, some of our C-suite, you know, people up there. But I, I don't know. He came to mind. Is he still around? He is, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, still doing great. And, you know, students love taking classes with him. He would not remember me, but he is definitely a memorable guy in my book. So that's cool. Fun. Uh, did you have a favorite gathering experience during your time at Washita? Was there some, you know, re- memorable gathering for you? Yeah. You know, I, I was involved in my social club and I would probably say a lot of the most special gatherings have been uh, around my social club. I had the opportunity to be service president my spring semester of um, my senior year. And this is so funny, John, and I don't even know why I did this, but I think it was back when like Forrest Gump had just come out. And do you remember like the scene where he's running across state lines? He's like just running forever. Okay. Follow me here in college. Whenever I would take road trips or I would travel I would take video of me in this red t-shirt, these Navy shorts, running across state lines. When we'd spring break in Destin, I'd be running up along the beach. I would be in Chicago for Christmas in 13 degree weather. Everyone's in their fur coats. I'd be running downtown near the art museum. Everywhere I travel, I would take video, just five second video. I'd travel with this outfit. I had no clue why I did that, but I knew someday it was going to come in come into play. So my very first meeting in our gathering in McClellan, um, our e-meeting, I came in and a video starts before I'm even in the room. And this video (laughs) is put together from all these crazy, I'm running through like a dairy barn, they're milking cows, like crazy things. And you see me cross into the Arkansas state line. You see me run by the Washita sign coming up towards McClellan up the steps. And here I come into the the meeting room. It was, I've always loved creating experiences for people. And I think that's where my heart is around the table. But that experience for me was just hilarious. You know, Washtal gave me so many great opportunities for leadership and participation in things. I 
hands down, got to do more things in college than I think most students because there were so many opportunities at Washita. It was a small campus. People were engaged. Um, it just, it felt so good. And I think, you know, getting to do that, I think that was one of my favorite, my favorite gatherings. Just, I mean, who enters something like that? That's not normal, but it was joyful. It was fun to me to do that. And then, of course, what I got to experience uh, that whole semester, learning to lead and amongst my friends was was really cool. So that's something memorable. There's so many, though, but that was one that came to my mind. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I think we need to get that uh, video on Good Morning America or somewhere. <laughs> uh, it's it's on one of the VHS tapes. You know, That's you what go. it's on. So, yeah. <laughs> It's somewhere collecting dust, I'm sure. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know, I know you enjoy like food and gathering people. Do you do you have a favorite food from your time at Waltz from the cafeteria? Gosh. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved Waltz. When I got to school and we had to get our IDs made, um, I don't know if this is going to transfer over a podcast very well, but I, for my ID photo, I would put my hands up like, high fives over my head, like moose, uh-huh. moose uh, antlers. And my picture was like this. So every time I come into Waltz and they check your ID to scan it or whatever, the ladies would laugh at me. And that was fun about bringing joy, joy to people. But, you know, I was a serial girl. Lucky Charms was, was a thing that was a staple in my life at Waltz. Um, I didn't get to eat sugary cereals at home growing up in Houston very often. College is such this like freedom. I can do what I want, eat what I want, do what I want. And Lucky Charms was a a common thing. You know, the thing I ate for the very first time at Waltz was was white gravy. I went through the, the breakfast line one of early on. And I saw, I saw biscuits, which I'm used to having biscuits and jelly or something like that. But I saw just this big, small swimming pool of white gravy. And I looked at someone, I'm like, what is this? Like thinking it was, they're like, well, that's gravy. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's not the brown gravy I grew up on. And somehow being in the South in Texas, I missed the white gravy craze for breakfast. Yeah, it, that I, that was very memorable. The first time I saw that on the line, I don't even know if I tried it, but I just remember that being like, "Oh my gosh, what is this? Where am I?" You know, so that's funny. But I yeah, I was a, I was a cereal girl. I did the salad bar all the time. Um, but yeah, is, is white gravy not a thing in Texas much? Is it? Are you all oh, brown gravy people? I sure, I'm sure it is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is. You know, my parents both grew up in Chicago. So maybe the Midwest, we missed that. I don't know. Did you see that in Missouri much? The the white gravy? I think so. You know, like sausage gravy, that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, we missed it at my house. That wasn't yeah. something that came up a lot so, or ever. So. Yeah. Melinda Mayo, you know, she's on the, on the news here in Arkansas. We interviewed her. She's an alum and she was talking about a white gravy fountain they made for a wedding where they dipped oh, biscuits in it. Yeah. That's amazing. But, you know, yeah. I think it was her viral moment. She said it got a million views and people from all over the world were like, what is white what? gravy? Why is it white? That is hilarious. See, there's there's other people out there that didn't know. So. Yeah, we had different quirky things in Missouri. We were sun tea people. I don't know if oh, you yeah. made tea on the back porch. 
Yes, my parents did that for sure. Right. Every day in Missouri, mom would put that on the porch in the back and we'd have sun tea every day. <laughs> that is awesome. Even in the do winter. You remember, do you remember at Walt's when Walt came dressed up like a Twinkie one day and passed out Twinkies? Yeah. That's, that was memorable for me. I have no clue why. I don't know if the Twinkie truck came by, but it was just so random, the things that would, would happen there. So... But thank goodness. I mean, I lived on campus and that's, that's how we got fed. So it was good. <laughs> yeah. He, he was such a character. It, it makes me laugh thinking about that. And then, you know, thinking about you making moose ears on your moose antlers yeah. thing. I mean, I love that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, I know that you love tiger tunes. Yes. What was your favorite tiger tune show or your favorite tiger tunes memory? Yeah. You know, senior year was a good year for the ease. We won, Tiger Tunes with the Toy Soldier show. Nice. That was super, super fun. Um, we had a, a little stomp portion. Now they probably do that a lot, but uh, Tiger Tunes back in the late 90s, that was a, a new thing. That was just a super fun time. Obviously, it's fun when you win. Every year was fun participating and getting together and working late nights on that. But what a what a banner program, you know, that OSF has done for how many years has it been now? I mean, long, long tradition. And I remember my family coming up, we had heard about things similar like at Baylor and stuff in Texas, but it is a pretty, pretty cool thing of what happens with Tiger Tunes. And I know it's only gotten better over time, but that was a, that was a memorable, a memorable, uh, memorable show for us for sure all of us that were involved (laughs) yeah it was i still have the video of that i do i do know i have a vhs of that so yeah good times around tiger tunes for sure um you know other than tunes things you've mentioned is there a favorite washtom moment like a, a time you look back and think like this was a really special you know moment in my life and it happened on this campus yeah you know, when I think about those four years at Washtenaw, I think there's there's so many moments. You know, this this is kind of memorable for me. Um, I, I think you know this part of my story, but maybe not. I lost my mom to a quick battle with cancer my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. So I came to Washtenaw kind of with my world upside down. Um, I didn't know anyone at Washtenaw. I was a girl from Houston, Texas, which I know there's people from Houston all the time coming to Washtenaw, but my world was a little upside down at that point and being thrust into college and the fun of life there, I would just get these little moments to grieve. And Washtenaw was such a great environment for me as far as being small, being seen, being loved by friends and and people that got to know me. But one night I remember it was raining and I, it was just one of those sad nights and I literally walked campus in a circle in the rain. And uh, this is so memorable because we still talk about this today, but I passed OC Bailey, uh, one of the dorms close to, you know, the student unions and some of the E's that were a year ahead of me, uh, Gretchen and Cynthia were their name. They are roommates. And I walked up to their room. We weren't, we were friends like through intramurals and just through our club, but not even like besties like for me to land there that night was just uh, totally God's hand 
And I remember walking up to their room and they gave me a towel and they just let me sit on their bed and, and tell stories about my mom. I have had both of them to my table now in Dallas since then, 20 years later. And Cynthia brought that up at the table. She said, do you remember that night? And I was like, it's a night I'll never forget. Like, I remember it felt like the very lowest moment, you know, and I think in college, there's so many great high moments and we've talked about a ton, you know, here in our time together, but there's those low moments too, that I feel so lucky and so blessed to have been in a place like Washita, where there was good people around me that I could walk up to the second floor of a dorm that I didn't even live in and find someone that would be willing to listen to me. And I know people come through Washita with all kinds of stories and all kinds of pasts. And some people knew mine, a lot of people didn't, but that night, that was a very, very um, important moment to me personally, um, just to finally have that place to grieve and how it all played out was something I'll never forget. So that's a, a strange moment to share, but it felt like community. And I think I learned early on how important that is. And I think I see that today, even in my work. So yeah, you know, those years are made up of a million moments just like that, but that was a memorable one for me. Um, how do you feel like Washaw prepared you for your neighbor's table mission and journey? I know you've shared portions of that with me before, but how do you feel like you were uniquely prepared for things because of your time here? Yeah. You know, when I was a freshman and sophomore, I at Washtaw, I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life. And I remember sitting down at the time with my advisor, Scott Duvall, and I remember looking at him when it was about that time where he was like, Sarah, we need to figure out which direction you're going to go and that sort of thing. And I looked at him so earnestly and I just said, I wish I could major in love. I just want to love people. And he looked at me like I had horns, just like my ID, like that is definitely not in the course catalog, Sarah, like major in love, what in the world. But from even in college, I knew that I just wanted to love people. I was trying to decide between a ministry major and physical education. And those were just two things I loved. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I ended up majoring, you know, in education, physical education, K through 12. But those moments to be given opportunities to figure out what I did love. I mean, some of the stories I've shared today are things that I got to create experiences with for people, whether that's at a social club meeting or, you know, Tiger Tunes or all of these things that Washita as a smaller school has has been able to give me. I did go on to teach um, for just a little bit. I was on staff at a big church in Houston and I got to use all those things that I, I learned and actually studied uh, at Washita. But I think it's those moments that I learned from people that cared for me, that loved me, that encouraged me on campus, that, you know, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. I think about how much love I just even got from Washita, like the things that were developed in me in those just integral years, especially after such a tragic thing for me as a a teenager, Mm. um, is so important. And I point back to those, those moments and those opportunities still to this day. So I'm really, really grateful, I think, for what Washita's 
given me, I think it developed my character, which we know sometimes travels a lot farther than even, even our degree. So, um, I think my mom would be super, super thrilled with what I received from Washita. She was always really big into education. Uh, we, my sister and I went through Christian education our whole lives. Mm. And um, she always cared about who we were um, and who we were becoming and who God was uh, developing, developing us into. And I think she'd be, I think she'd be happy with the environment I was in at Washita. So I feel grateful for that. But yeah, here I am. I didn't take a single business course at Washita. I wish I had. Now I'm like this <laughs> entrepreneur that doesn't know where money's going to come from. But hey, my lights are still on after three <laughs> years of doing this full time and we're we're still making it. So I feel grateful. That's great. Yeah, I wish I would have taken some of those classes. I got a OSF scholarship report from the business office and she said, let me know if you have any questions or concerns. I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a bookkeeper. Yeah, a bookkeeper that tells me all those things now. So we have we can be smart enough to give that to the people that do know how to do those things well. So there you go. Exactly. Love it. Hey, anything else you'd like to say to your Washaw family out there, other alums, friends, anybody? No. Hey guys, just fun. I think it's funny when we hear from people after all these years, uh, what they're up to. And I know there's so much more going on in other people's lives, even though, uh, even though I'm the one visiting today. So I commend everyone doing really great things out there and, and those that are, you know, being the light of Christ. I'm encouraged by the the things I see by, um, current students and even the ones that I you know, crossed sidewalks with at washed all together. So uh, it's fun how things linger in your life and they circle back and uh, I've gotten to experience that. So I'm grateful. It's been fun to be back on campus the few times I have and appreciate you, John, asking me to come back for things and just, just, just a delight to, to be a, be a tiger for life, as you say. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. You know, I appreciate you so much coming on today. I know that you've got, you know, tons to do and tables to make, but um, just know that we're so proud of you and your, you know, work that you're doing and the gathering you're doing. And, you know, I love your love mission. And I feel like we're all behind you on that and just want to fuel on that love mission. Know that we're praying for you and, and excited for all God's doing in and through you. Thanks, John. I feel the love. And I still, to this day, have said that Emily Merriman makes the best cup of coffee in this country. So I know I have stopped through there and, and gotten a cup of coffee from you guys and just appreciate the open door at your own home and, and the also Washtaws campus. So thanks for all you do for all of us. Yeah. Well, anytime you're passing through, stop by. I would love to love to see you and give you a cup of coffee. So I will. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks again, friend. Thanks for listening to the Tiger for Life podcast. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.